journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, Shavua Tov. Love to be back. Glad that you're back with me. We are traipsing through the Bible. We are with our forefather, uh, Jacob, and he is just about to meet his brother, Asav. And there's a couple of items that happen just before he physically meets his brother. And that's going to be the topic of today's discussion. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have a question, if you have a comment, please, would love to chat with you. 34519 is the SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Now, where we left off last week was in chapter 32. If you are sitting in, your, in the comfort of your home or you've got some time off and you are following in um, the actual text, Genesis chapter 32, we finished up verse uh, 14 to 16, and that was how Jacob actually prepared um, a, a tribute to his brother Asab. And what's going to follow now immediately is what he actually, how he, how he instructs the, um, his servants of how to deliver this tribute, this, uh, 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 gift of diplomacy to Asab. So we're going to start on verse 17, chapter 32. Eder, Eder, Levado. What he did is he gave into the hands of his servant, each herd by itself. Remember that he had sheep and he had camels and he had donkeys and he had all sorts of things. So he didn't mix them all together. He didn't like take them all and give it as one gift. He gave them one by one. Vayomer al-Avadav, and he said to his servants, Ivru lefanai, pass before me, verevach tasimu ben eder ben eder. And um, leave space between one herd and the next. So basically what Yaakov was doing there was that he placed each type of animal in a separate group. And he said to his servants, keep at least one day ahead of me and I will follow you. Meaning there was a space between each group of animals. And so when they came to confront Asav, Asav would not see them all at once, but rather he would see them like coming in tranches. So basically what they did is they 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 placed each flock by itself along the length of the road. Um, the first flock to go were the flock of goats. And then there was a space, apparently up to a day's uh, travel. Um, and then um, they put the sheep. Then they left more space. Then the camels. Then the cattle. And finally, the donkeys. I apologize. It wasn't a day's. It was a, 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 a about two, 2.5 kilometers um, between each one. And um, the, the whole point of this was to, was to ease Asab into it. So he would see the first set of many, many uh, sheep. And you think, is that all? And then a little bit while later, there would be more. Oh, is that all? No. And a little bit later, no, there's more. And so that would kind of like be a, a bribery, so to speak, that, you know, Asaph wouldn't get it all at once. 
um, because maybe he would still be stuck up about that. But at the same time, he wasn't getting something one at a time because that too um, would uh, would think. So it, it, it was a very, very clever maneuver. But as we know, everything that we learn is what happens in the Bible, what happens to Yaakov's descendants, the Jewish people. And as we said, this meeting, and this is a fundamental theme that we see across the entire Bible, that a fundamental theme is that this is Mase Avot Siman Lebanim. What happens to uh, our forefathers actually happens to us in exile. So there's definitely more to talk about it. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We were talking about Mase Avot Siman Lebanim, that that which happens to our forefathers happens, you know, is, is a sign that will happen. So this entire um, method of sending um, the different animals in different tranches with space between them was really a prayer for Yaakov to say, I have left space between each flock. So Hashem, when my descendants are in exile, leave a space between their troubles, meaning don't allow all the persecutions to come all at once, but little by little, so that they would be able to rest after one persecution and survive. And indeed, we have seen now in hindsight that that is in fact the case. We had the destruction of the second base of Megdash, the second temple. We were exiled into the exile of Edom, of Rome, and we had a terrible time. Then we recovered. Then we settled again. We had uh, the, the golden age of Spain, and then we had we had the exile again. We were thrown out. Then we recovered. We came into Europe. We had intermittent pogroms, etc., etc. Then we recovered. Then we had Russia. We were in Russia. We, um, we you know, we were uh, we, we 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 were crushed under Stalinist, and then we recovered. Then we had the 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 Second World War, and we recovered. That is how we overcome the exile of Edom. And right now, we're right at the end of this exile. We have been dispersed to every single corner of the earth. We have been found in every single place, not just willy-nilly, just by mistake. It just happened that way, but purposefully because a Jew has to go into each and every place and elevate that place. Now, what's also unbelievably interesting about the order in which that uh, the, which Yaakov sent out the animals is that if you recall earlier, uh, he didn't want to send out the sheep uh, first because he didn't. We mentioned that he didn't want to do that because he didn't want Asaph to remember the sheep because that will trigger a response that is that he would remember that his father had obtained the blessing, how he had obtained the blessing, etc., etc. But now suddenly we see that he's not scared anymore. He sends out the sheep. Well, the first answer to all of that is that before um, Yaakov had prayed to God, um, he was terrified of Asaph, and he was apprehensive even to mention the word sheep. But once he prayed, he was no longer afraid, and he went right ahead and sent Asaph a large number of goats. What? Before anything else. Before anything else. It was as if, Asaph was saying to Yaakov, I'm not afraid of you anymore. I have a strong back on which to lean because I'm leaning on the blessing of my father Yitzchak. And this obviously shows us the power, <clears throat> excuse me, the power of prayer, 
that once we, we realign ourselves, once we put back um, in front of us the, 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 the coordinating um, like a, a sense of who is running the world, who has got our back, who is looking after us, then we fear no longer. And I think that this is a very, very powerful lesson. It's a powerful lesson, you know, from Yaakov. It's a powerful lesson for all our generations. It's a very powerful lesson even today. Today we are, we are living in such an incredible state of fear, an incredible state of anxiety. Things are being thrown at us that we've never been able to, to even comprehend maybe. Not even three years ago, this whole COVID, um, pandemic. The, the, what's going on in Afghanistan, the hurricanes, the, the buildings coming down. There's a lot that is happening. We can look at it all and become very fearful, very anxious, and understandably so, because the world looks like it's falling apart at the seams. But if one takes a few minutes back, takes, takes a few, a few steps back, takes a few minutes to meditate on the fact that Hashem runs the world, that Hashem has given us a promise, and the promise is the promise that has kept us for 5,781, nearly 82 years, and that is, is that we will survive. We are the Jewish people. There will be a redemption. Mashiach is going to come, and he's coming very soon, and that all of this is a guarantee, a promise from Hashem. We realign ourselves, and we no longer need to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid of COVID. We don't have to be afraid of the political uncertainty. We do not have to be afraid of the um, mass of, of, of natural disasters and unnatural disasters that are coming our way. We are connected to Hashem, and with that is the promise that Hashem will see see His promise through, and that we will we will rise to be on top and we will be where we have to be. That is not to say, just by the way, that now, you know, go sit down, drink your, your, your latte, your cappuccino, whatever it is, and don't go do anything. We still have to go out into the world and repair it, rectify it, help it, certainly, most definitely do another mitzvah, get committed to who we really are, understand our purpose in this world, and be involved. And, and, and not sit on our laurels waiting for Hashem to make the world a better place. It is our obligation to make the world a better place and a place of dwelling for God. But at the same time, um, we, we've got to have a deep understanding and a knowing that, in fact, God is running the world and um, we do not need to be frightened. In fact, this is what we see now with Jacob that he had, once he had prayed and once he had recentered himself, recalibrated himself, he no longer was afraid of Asaph. How much more so? It says that if you look at how and what he sent to to Asab and the order in which he sent it, he sends the donkeys last. Um, as if to say, to you, to me, you are nothing more than a donkey in the end. Okay, so he, he, he becomes very sure of himself and very confident that that's what it is. And this is my interpretation, but, you know, when we talk about a donkey, uh, a donkey in Hebrew is the word chamor. It comes from chomer. And um, chomer means materialism. And really, I think that maybe one of the things that Yaakov was saying prophetically is that we will go and we will fight the various animals of this world as the Jewish people. And heck, there have been some very bad animals. Hitler, Yemach and Stalinist Russia, and 
Queen Isabella, uh, Isabella and King Ferdinand, they were, they were terrible flocks of animals that attacked the Jewish people. But at the end, what are we going to see at the end just before Mashiach comes? We're going to see a, an incredible state of donkeys. Donkeys meaning a, 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 play, a, a, a paradigm where we are immersed in materialism that is going to be just as much as an enemy as Queen Isabella was or as Hitler Yemachshomo was. Um, and I think that's the greatest fight that we have today is that we are so immersed in our material surroundings, in our physicality, in this is what you see is what you get, that we fail to remember that there is much more to this world than the materialism. And in fact, materialism being the final part of the exile is um, the the challenge that we need all to go look at this materialism and find the godliness within it. Um, and it's it's obvious. The, the joke is that, like when I say it's obvious, I actually think that like that 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 doesn't make sense. It's very paradoxical that because it's not obvious when you look at something physical that you see godliness in it. But at the same time, it's obvious because we understand even from science today that um, atoms resonate um, at an energetic level and that if you actually had to maybe put the entire world or a chair or anything physical through a, a centrifuge and, and accelerate the rate um, of vibration, what would happen is that the physicality would land up becoming Spiritual would become would not would become energy. It wouldn't become uh, it, it wouldn't remain in a dormant state of physicality. And so Yaakov puts the donkeys at the last because that's the final frontier. The final frontier is for us to look at our material world, look at everything around us, and um, understand that in fact it's all godly. And once we strengthen ourselves, once we recalibrate ourselves, then we, we can have no fear because whilst the physical world looks like it's maddening and, 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 and like careering out of control, we know that it's an expression of God. And God is just doing all of these things right now to awaken us. It's a sobering thought. Um, what do you feel about it? Do you, do you think that this is a good way to think? Perhaps you, you want to uh, counter that. 34519, our SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to whiz through the verses 18 to 21. And um, here you will see the actual um, conversation that Yaakov has with his shepherds, with the people who are going to be dealing with all the various flocks. So he commands the first, the first uh, shepherd or group of shepherds that are taking the first load of animals. And he says, If when you meet my brother Esav, and he asks you, saying, Who are these? And where are you going? And to who and who owns all of this that is before you? You're going to say, um, and you're going to say, it, it, it belongs to your servant Yaakov. 
Mincha hi shlucha la'adoni la'esav. It is a tribute. It is a gift to our, to my master, Esav. Vihine gamhu acharenu, and Yaakov himself is right behind us. So again, they're going to say, who, who are you, and what is this, and, and and who does this all belong to? Say, it belongs to Yaakov. It's a gift that we're sending to you. And by the way, Yaakov is behind us. Okay, and he then instructed the second set of shepherds and the third set and all those that walked behind him that were, were taking the various flocks, saying, This is how you speak to Esav when you find him. Remember to always say that Yaakov your brother is coming behind us. Kiamar, okay, um, because he said, "Achapra fanav b'mincha hachelit lefanav v'acharechin ere fanai ulai isa fanai." Okay, because Yaakov said to himself, "This way, I will win him over with the the diplomacy, with the presence, with the tributes that is being sent ahead of me, and then I will see his face, and hopefully by that time he will." Forgive me. A very clever strategy. Imagine somebody wants to get you to do something, so they give you one gift, and then you're going to get another gift. And every time you get the gift, you're saying, now, no, no, you know, do you want to change your mind? But you, you, you don't come to ask that question. You give another gift and another gift and another gift. You kind of wear the person down. Now, um, the Talmud goes and says that there are four groups of people that will not experience the divine presence in Olam Haba, in the future world. Which four people will not experience godliness in the next world? The first is scoffers, liars, slanderers, and flatterers. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because this really, what Yaakov was doing, seems to be like a form of flattery. Now, certainly, Yaakov would have understood that you know um, these type of people these type of people are shunned by God, scoffers, liars, slanderers, and flatterers, and it's not good that you do such a thing. So our rabbis pick up on this nuance and they 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 bring the opinion that first of all you can flatter a criminal in order to escape his clutches. If you are sitting in a in a God forbid a hostage situation and if you go and flatter them, you will, what's the name? You will, you will be able to, you know, um, be saved, then you certainly can do that. So that is one opinion. Another opinion is that it's forbidden even to flatter, um, even if you're afraid, you're not allowed to flatter a wicked person, because flattery is so despicable that God wants it to be avoided completely. There, that opinion then goes and says, that Jacob, in fact, was talking ambiguously, okay, um, allowing Asaph to think he, he was a superior, um, and that type of, of, of flattery is really allowed. So he starts this whole diplomacy uh, uh, story, and in the meantime, you know, back at the ranch, he is trying to fix up what it is that he needs to do. So the ta'avor hamincha al panav, so the the flattery, you know, passes by in front of him. 
he sends it all off. He watches how they all uh, go off. He spends the night in the camp. What does he spend the night doing? He spends the night praying to God that even though he's doing all that he's doing, that ultimately he understands that it will only be God that will come to his rescue and will assist him. Vayakam Balaila Hahu, we now look at verse 23, he gets up that night, Vayikach Echtei Nashav, he takes his two wives, Vechtei Shifchotav, and his two handmaids, Veet Achad Asar Yeladav, and he also takes his eleven sons, and what does he do? Vayavor Al Ma'avar Yabok, he crosses over the Yabok River. He takes them and he sends them across the Yabok River, across the stream. And he also sends across everything that he owned. So now the question is, is um, what is the story over here? What is he doing? Well, now he's physically creating a physical barrier between um, between himself and Asab, and he's moving his most prized possessions: his wife, his um, his, uh, his 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 handmaid servants, that that Zilpa and Billa, and of course also um, everything that belongs to him. Now there are a few inconsistencies over here that I'm going to bring up just before we go for a break. One is that before we saw that he. Um, that, that he took his children first when he left Lavan. Now he's taking his wives before his children. That's the first question that we will need to, to dissect. The second is, is that it says he took his 11 sons. Well, what happened? He also had a daughter. Why, why, why did he leave his daughter behind? Or what actually happened to his daughter? IFM. 101.9 megahertz of life. So let's answer those two questions. Why now did he um, take his wife and let them first cross the river when last time he took his children first? Well, the answer is, is that they came to a flowing river. It was, it was obviously, you know, it was rapidly flowing. It was, it was quite a river to negotiate and try cross over. And um, he didn't want the children to be afraid. So he put his wives first um, because then they would see that the mothers were able to cross over and that would calm down uh, the children. Where was Dina? Where was his daughter Dina if it says that he crossed over with his 11 sons? Well, as we know, um, Leah was supposed to marry Asaph. Leah cried and cried, and she begged God not to allow her to marry Asab, and her prayers were answered. But there was still a destiny insofar as that Yaakov was supposed to marry that, that lineage. And so Yaakov understood that if it wasn't going to be Leah, it most probably would be Dina. And so what he did with Dina is what his forefathers did, his father and his grandfather, he hid Dina in a large chest that he locked up and, um, um, and he locked it shut. 
because he didn't want Esau to set eyes on her, desire her, possibly take her by force. And so Dina is not specifically mentioned because she lands up being in the 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 the, the discussion of the fact that he moved his things across afterwards. So first he moved his wife's, then he moved his children, and then he moved his things. Okay, and he took it across the road, uh, across the river. Sorry, Vayivater Yaakov Levadoi. And here is such a famous verse. Um, I hope to try cover as much of it as possible. But he, he remains alone. Vayeavek Ishimo Ad Shachar. He a man appears. Okay, and he wrestles with this man until daybreak. Why does Yaakov remain alone? So basically, it says first he crossed the river himself to see if it could be crossed. When he saw it wasn't very deep, then that's when he brought his family and his belongings to the other side. He made a bridge, and he moved. He shifted them over. But what had happened was that in the entire shifting, it seems, and we are told in Amaforashim that he forgot. And a small number of oil bottles. He went back across over the river to go and get those bottles. What does that all mean? Well, firstly, there's a lesson here. It says tzaddikim or people that are connected to God also take care of their possessions. Okay. Money isn't something that is spawned and, 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 and looked at as just to be thrown away frivolously, but rather every one of our possessions is something that has come into our possession because God wanted us to use it in the service, in his service. And so the fact that he left some small oil bottles behind bothered him a lot and he went, um, over the river to go collect them because if they were in his possession, they were there in service of God. That's unlike um, other people who are careless about their possessions. Um, they're also not. They're also careless about time that is given to them. That that is a possession. Okay, that people don't give any thought to anything, and there is a lot of wastage and a lot of um, just throwing around because there isn't that type of appreciation. Um, for a person who understands that every single thing in his surroundings um, is of import and it is there in service of God, you'll be, number one, scrupulously honest, um, a, a, a couple of cents um, and a lot of rands or Bitcoin, okay? And for all of them, each and every single thing has to be accounted for. Um, and therefore, we learn from Yaakov that he made the trip back over the river again, just for some small oil bottles. That's a lesson in and of itself. But then we actually look at the Mepharshim, at, at the commentators, and we see that there's even more to these little oil bottles. Some say that these oil bottles were extremely valuable. Why so? Because when Yaakov left his father's house and he was heading towards Laban, if you recall, the sun set in the middle of the day, and he landed. He was he landed up on Mount Ar um, Mount um, Moriah, and uh, he took some stones. Do you remember? And he placed them near his head, and then they all were fighting who should have the honor of uh, his head. 
on the thing and we know that the, the stone turned into one. Okay, they coalesced into one large stone. And as we know, then when he wakes up in the morning, he sets up a monument and it is at that point in time that our rabbis tell us that providence had it that they, uh, that he was given a bottle of oil and he poured it over the monument as discussed as 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 we went through you can look go look back at chapter 28 verse 18 now when Yaakov had emptied this bottle of oil on the monument he saw that it automatically filled up again with oil and then he realized that it itself contained a supernatural blessing and he took it with him. He also then saw with prophetic vision that this oil, the same oil from this bottle, will be used to anoint all the vessels of the tabernacle, the altar. Aaron and his sons would be anointed with it when they became Kohanim. Later on, this same bottle of oil was the bottle of oil that Elijah the prophet would perform for the uh, for for the woman um, of uh, Sarafat, you know, where where there's a whole story. You can look it up in in Malachim in Kings one, where there was um, the, where a bottle of oil uh, yielded an exhaustible amount of oil until the rains came. And there's also another similar miracle that was repeated by Elisha for the prophet of Vadia. You can also go look that up in Malachim. So he saw all these bottles. He knew all of these bottles. All this oil was miraculous, and therefore he made a special trip back to the river to get over, to, 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 to go and fetch it. Now, why does it say he remained alone? Let's look at the verse again. By Yivater Yaakov Levado, he remained alone, um, and that is, is that, uh, it comes to teach us that Yaakov returned for something that only he and his descendants would be able to use it's something holy, and and it was destined, just, um, it was destined to be used on the altar. No other man was permitted to to touch it, and so because it had such an important um, role in his life, he crossed over. Uh, other rabbis going to say like anyway, how, how could he have forgotten it? And again, over here we're told that. Um, he didn't allow women, um, the women who were menstruating to touch it, and therefore he put it aside for himself, and that's where he forgot it. And so he made a special trip to get it. This also, by the way, is a lesson that that is brought out in the Gemara, that if a person is moving, um, you should always go and inspect your old house after everything has been removed. If you're counting money, you should always go check the area to see if nothing was dropped or lost. If you're closing your shop for the day, you should always double-check the door to see that it's properly locked because that's how Yaak, what Yaakov did. He went back and, and checked on things. Um, and just very quickly, um, the Midrash says that Rab and Rab Shimon okay, were once partners in the silk business and they went to Tyre, T-Y-R-E, um, up in Lebanon after selling their merchandise and uh, they said to each other, we should do as our ancestor Yaakov did and make sure that we haven't forgotten anything behind. And in fact, they did. They returned and they found a large bundle of silk that they had forgotten. And the other merchants said to them, well, where did you learn such a good practice? To which they replied, from our patriarch Yaakov, the Torah says he remained alone, means he had returned to see if he had forgotten anything. This is 101.9 Chai FM. 
Hi FM 101.9 megahertz of life. We got a couple of minutes and really now we're opening up a huge box and a huge discussion about who was this man that that um that Yakov fought with. Needless to say that the most important part of all of this is to understand that there were various opinions as to uh who 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 it was. Some say that it was a shepherd, others said that it was a bandit chief, um others say that it was in fact an angel, and I think the overriding um idea is that um it's understood that this was the 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 angel of Asaph that before Yaakov would be going to uh to to argue and to fight with Asaph physically he was going to go and fight the concept of Asaph spiritually and you can actually go and see when you look at the story that in fact it is it doesn't make sense that a person can fight the entire night and at the end Yaakov says bless me you don't go find a gangster in a in a in a side road have an absolute brawl with him and then say bless me but for that you're going to have to tune in back again into khayafem.com at this time Mondays 1 to 2 and we will unpack who this uh, character was and what was it that um they were trying to achieve arguing the entire night until then have a wonderful week ahead and uh, I'll be back next week same time same place